So what did you learn? You got after you got a bunch of money, you realized that's not purpose. How did you go about giving your life meaning or finding purpose? So okay, there was this concept. We were working with Docomo, and the true answer to how this kind of fell into place for me was they go, man, you guys, because I, you know, I keep, they're like, what do you want? And I said, well, I'm, I'm chasing happiness. And they go, no. I was like, what do you mean, no? They go, see, that's that's very American. I was like, well, y- yes. They go, what you're looking for is ikigai. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. If you Google it, it's like what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, what gives you happy. You know, it's like it's, it's oh yes, 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 purpose, yep. right? It's like and that that moves throughout life. You know, like after you have your first kid, right? Your purpose shifts, but that doesn't mean you truly feel like you're a systemically different person. I mean, I guess you kind of are, but. Yeah, I, I think I just realized this is going to be a pretty fluid journey through my life of trying to find purpose. I think I'm still, I think I'm still searching every day. I mean, what about you? You obviously have had so many accomplishments. Like, how do how do you chase? How are you chasing your purpose? You know, so, I mean, obviously you just had another kid. Like, how's that? How's that work for you? Yeah, well, I could definitely say the end result is it's a constant work. But my background did software development for for many years because my dad, who you met, he was a engineer, both software and hardware. So he'd take me to work with him. And I learned that. And then I did some real estate software that did pretty well, not anywhere near, like, I think I made like a million dollars on it. Right. And yeah. 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 And I was still like 21 or something. And so I I learned how to manage money and and do all of that. And then I started trying to figure out happiness, not in in my late twenties. Like I started thinking about it and being like more conscious. Like, I feel like my brain sort of actually turned on at like 25, (laughs) right? Started realizing that, Oh, I'm not the only person in this world. There's other people and they're going after other objectives and we have to kind of figure out how everything works. I had this realization. uh, So my mom died. So you met my stepmom. And so out of nowhere, she had a stomach ache. She went to the hospital. They're like, you have cancer, but you've probably got like two years. She died like three weeks later. Wow. And so I got to be in the room and hold her hand with my brother and my sister, like as she passed away. And at that moment, I was like, I, I don't know, something just clicked for me. And so there was a book I'd wanted to write about what I learned building my first tech team and then teams of teams. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to go write that book. So I actually did it. And I and I went and I did it after that day. And then uh, I wanted to validate the book. So I was like, I need to start talking to other CTOs. So let's use this podcast as an, ex- as an excuse to talk about book content. Yeah. And so we did. And and then it sort of turned into this uh, this thing. I thought what would happen would be that the podcast would get me a lot of relationships and I'd end up like CTO at AT&T. Or like VP of engineering at like Brex, like some like, you know, big, awesome, cool job. But what ended up happening was uh, first we started licensing the content for like leadership training, like companies were paying us to license our podcast content that went away in the pandemic because leadership budgets got cut. And then people started paying because like we had a six month like backlog of episodes. Uh, they, They started paying to come on like right away. So they wanted to call us up and they wanted to have someone on within two weeks and have it air. And they didn't want to wait six months. And yeah, so wow. we realized people would pay for it and that they have marketing budgets. So we created marketing packages, grew that business to a million dollars a year. And then we were like, oh crap, there's only so many episodes you can do, right? And then we ended up doing, uh, talking to our sponsors and they said, well, we want you to make us a podcast. And so we started podcast production company and we just grew that. 
and we're like at the end of the first year of growing that. So that's like my journey for the for the context. My mom was a big milestone. And then when I had the creator of the internet, uh, September or World Wide Web, and yeah, yeah, OSI, yeah. so many levels. So people ripped me apart, by the way, on that one. <laughs> Which it's part of the internet? <laughs> Tim Berners-Lee, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. I thought maybe then, be Al Gore or something. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's... <laughs> I actually had people explain that to me. It's apparently Al Gore did the policy for it, but he right. did the the technology. I got depressed. It's like, I think I was like 300 episodes into the show or something because I realized that I had set out to accomplish a talk to all these people and I had talked to pretty much everybody I wanted to talk to. And then I started using my guest as like, I had on like some really brilliant, like self-help people. <laughs> And stuff and i just started telling them my story and i'm like do your thing that you do that's real expensive but for free with me in front of this oh, audience awesome. <laughs> so um Dude, it's really interesting you know as you say that right like i'm very open about my own mental health as well and like when i talk yeah. to kids you know they always call me they're like bro you got hundreds of millions of dollars tell me that can't make you happy and it's crazy on one podcast i did for this high school this this school collective i literally used i said look you won the lottery you won 40 million dollars are you happy they said, yes. I go, one of your parents just passed away. Are you happy? And they say, no. And I say, clearly that shows there's, there's not a causational effect of money and happiness. And so, you know, I think it's, I've never met anybody that truly went through that in the same way. And I've used that example a lot. So kudos to you, you know, it, those, those catastrophes in life. And then, you know, having that, I know I'm going to be on antidepressants the rest of my life. You know, I'm, I, I know that I know who I am and I know, I know what I'm going to struggle with, but you're one of the few people I've ever met. Uh, only one that has that story in the same way. So that's, that's wild, man. I got goosebumps. So if you had to get out of tech, if you were totally somebody goes, all right, man, here's a check, you know, here's a couple hundred million dollars, whatever it is, but you got to work 40 hours a week and it cannot be in tech. Yeah. What do you think? What would you, what would you pick? Is podcasting tech? Let's say yes. Only cause that'd be an easy, easy answer. Let's say, oh, it is tech. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tech. I would um, invite successful people to my castle to have conversations about life. You still got a podcast out of it, didn't you? You just that's, that's beautiful, man. I mean, the fact that you still found a way to still have a roundtable and talk, dude. It's because it's addictive. Like I get, I I'm I'm very very happy that about the way that this turned out, but. The reality is I get to talk to amazing people two or three times a week. And the comp- like I just had a call before this, it backed up with, I-, I only have one venture capital company that invested in us when we were leadership training. And then it like failed, but the entity stayed the same because I was like, I'm not collapsing the entity. You guys need to get your investment back. Let's pivot awesome. and do sponsorship and like keep it going. And they were actually surprised. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, well, that's just what you've got to do, man. You're just, yeah. Yeah. So you know, my dad, uh, my dad went through bankruptcy. I'm pretty open, you know, he, and, they, and they are too, man. You know, my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, he went through bankruptcy and, you know, I, he, he hit 50 years in business this year. And, um, I went to a trade show with him when I was a young, a young, young man, young kid, young boy, whatever. And, and these people came up to me and they said, you know what? You have an amazing dad. And I said, yeah, I mean, I know that, but like, you know, he went bankrupt. He paid every single one of his vendors back still. And I never, 
you know, I never thought twice about it. Uh, like, of course my dad would do something like that. You know, like he never told anybody, he didn't make it a thing. He just told them, he was like, look, I can't pay you right now. And I, I have to do what I have to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, my name is the only thing I really have. I think it's, you know, you obviously did a similar thing. Obviously you didn't go through bankruptcy, but you still yeah. have a backbone. Again, this well, is I mean, so rare, man. Like I don't meet a lot. There's not a lot of people like you out there. I'm sure you know. I that. wish I could take credit for it. I think it might be genetic or something. <laughs> like uh, this, just like it's. I believe that you know. I learned really early in business that you have to have a contract. <laughs> you can't just shake hands. But it was me being, I guess, naive. But like, I am so interested in coming through on what I say I'm going to do that you know when I shake someone's hand and we make an agreement, I expect that to be carried out. Um, but you know, then the business stuff happens. But still, that's that's just. I don't know. I like being that person. It's it's easier to be that person because otherwise you're the 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 slippery slimy salamander. <laughs> you don't want to be the salamander. I don't want any alliterations. None. Right. <laughs> I don't want any of it. How many of your CTOs that you kind of meet with? You know, for me, I have a super. I mean, obviously, my background's on business. I mean, I've been a programmer for thirty years, and object oriented programming was always a part of my life, and. And, you know, everybody jokes, I'm the only IT person at the company as well. But that's only because back when we started programming, we had to make, you know, I had to make my own drivers. Like we, if I wanted to use something, you know, I had, I had to make it. But how many of the CTOs that, that you interact with have that strong financial background versus, you know, the, the new CTO doesn't seem to be the CTO of old. How much of that do you kind of see as you're even, inter, you know, interfacing and, and meeting some of these CTOs now? I see a couple things. The first thing that I see as a trend is that the superhero jerk is is that person that persona is dying and it's become like unpopular. the god complex tech i'm the only person that could ever know this so you respect yeah. me okay yes yeah the one you walk in the room and they're expected to just like be treated different like crazy yep. you get it but yeah that that being rude and being extraordinarily talented but not knowing how to interact with people like that became unpopular because the technology became more complicated and you needed to rely on more people. So then your ability to interact with people became incredibly important to achieve an objective. Right. So like that, that whole thing is, is one trend I see. Uh, I see CTOs of all different shapes and sizes, all different skill sets. The ones, the trend line that I see of the ones that are most successful is self-awareness mm. and then awareness of how the tech impacts the business when they, when they're in the company and they understand how the sales works and what people pay for, and then what's being produced from the technology team. Uh, those those two trades tend to be the most successful. There's a, a small subset of CTOs, and maybe this will answer it better. That I'd say sub five percent that I talk to that are at a level of like significance, right? And uh, say that they still program. And what mm -hmm. I've noticed that they do is they'll actually spin out, like hire like a senior vice president, like of engineering and have that person sort of play that role of, of uh, traditional. And then they'll have like an office of the CTO where they're like experimenting and they have a small team, maybe five to seven people that are running experiments, figuring out things that they could do better. So when they, when they've sort of got that, like in the lab hands-on type deal and they don't want to let it go, then they sort of spin that office of the CTO out and make sure that the other stuff's covered. But I see a, I, I see a handful of people that, want to do that but don't know that that's an option and they're kind of depressed right huh because they 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 had to stop programming to do all this other stuff right but they don't want to stop programming, like they, were the best programming. they got they got promoted to manager and then oh yeah 
that those are the couple. Did, did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, well, so I was on a I was on a panel. You know, we get asked as technologists. I don't even know what the hell to call us, right? Like, we get asked really ethical questions. You know, I was on a panel within a year. Is for I'm trying to think of what I can disclose. Is for some for some government questions, right? Like they, they're still. I mean, you look at our politicians, right? They're they're old enough that none of us would actually ever hire them for our own companies. You know, <laughs> hey, man, I got this 80 year old that's looking for this tech job, and you'd be like, yeah, no, I mean, that's maybe illegal, but like, you know, maybe it's not like the 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 maybe it's you know experience experience wise like a little far out. But they're setting our you know our laws, and so I'm on this panel, and one of the questions came up about deep fakes. And I'm looking around the room and I'm trying to listen to everybody. Here's basically the question. Ethically, if we could make a deep fake of an underage child and that gets created as porn, so nobody would be able to distinguish the difference between a 16-year-old, let's just say a 16-year-old girl, through a deep fake or through reality, what do you guys think? Should this be legal or illegal? And I'm looking around, I'm going, how in the hell? What, you, have, you have CTOs in this room and tech experts asking them ethical questions. Not how did we create something like that or what do you think we should do? And I'm going, don't you think psychiatrists and psychologists should probably be the ones in here? You're asking tech people ethically and legally if we should be producing this. You know, they're asking things like, is there a victim? Is there a victim? How am I qualified? You know, like what I saw kind of going around the table was misplaced understanding of technology in our roles, right? Like for me, you know, I kind of take on the, I mean, I am the CEO of the company, but I also am obviously it's a tech, you know, it's a massive digital agency. So it's tech is in my everyday life. And, and that, so the lines are really blurred. I'm sitting next to somebody else that's been running cat cables all day long with networking that probably is closer to an A plus certification. You know, it's like answering ethical questions. And I just, I didn't know, you know, is that the perception of the misalignment of what a CTO is now? And that's how we all ended up here. I thought for me, and I'm here for video and I've got a pretty good expertise on video and transcoding and distribution and, you know, had a pretty, pretty deep relationship with Pirate Bay back in the day. A totally different story. But, you know, is that how CTOs are also being viewed company-wide, industry-wide, corporate-wide? Like what is, when you, when you kind of have those interfaces, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, there's, there's obviously still a lot of working CTOs though. Specifically on the ethics question, I haven't seen that a lot where i where i have seen it a little is companies that have controversial like facial recognition companies mm. and, and and things of that nature um and typically what they do is they def they have an ethicist like on the team it's like a somebody who right. study i mean ethics is like a field of study it's like a right. whole thing so to ask somebody that has no you know i mean we all have our human and it's all valid, like our human responses and everything like that. But if if you're talking about like we're in the business world and we're, we're making some decisions on like specific strategy and we want the best information that's humanly available to us to make this decision, you're definitely going to want to go find the people that eat, sleep and breathe it every day for, for their career, right? Right. I mean, maybe so much of tech is posturizing anyways, right? Hypothesizing, you know, it's like, hey, I know you don't really build mobile apps, but let's talk through this, right? And maybe it's that, you know, extrapolation out there of just saying like, okay, we, we think in a, maybe a more procedural way about concepts we don't understand. So are, do you see the CTOs becoming less and less what we maybe would have described as a traditional tech thinker? Um, no, I think there's like a certain portion of CTOs that are Harvard business CTOs. Okay. They, I typically run into them 
when we're talking about companies that are owned by like family offices or private capital, because that they'll run in their networks and then they need someone who's smart on tech. And then they'll be like, Hey, you know how to formally run a business and you know, tech, can you come in and help me with my tech side of things? You know, I, I see that more, but I'd say the vast majority is, is creative people trying to solve a problem. Um, and, and really loving the problem solving. Like for me, for the better part of 17 years, every day I wrote code until year two of this podcast when it like really started making money. And then I just kind of stopped because I found that the, the thing that helps me, the thing that satisfies me is, is getting to talk and think through problems and, and talking to other people like you that have like solved problems and how, and how you did it. So, you know, I talked to this guy the other day that put an electrode stent through the jugular up through the brain vessel so that you get the brain computer interface without having to drill through the skull and you can go home the same day. Right. And he's got this embedded in people. It's like having people come on, explain, you know, how they, how they solve problems. And then of course the, the audience is always at the the center of everything. And it's like, how do we bring value? So we separate the episodes into uh, educate, elevate and entertainment. Right. Mm. So that's we'll have some entertaining episodes that are more like that jugular one with the electrode stent uh, so we'll, we'll separate them uh, up like that 